We have a lot of, lot of ground to cover today. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. If you need a Bible, please slip up your hands. The ushers will have one for you. You're welcome to look on your electronic device as well. We have been working through this book of Hebrews fairly quickly, but also, uh, again, one of the big understandings and things that we need to remember about this book is that it was never really meant to be a week every other thing. It was kind of a one strong sermon that was meant to kind of go in a roll. And so we've left ourselves kind of some cliffhangers from week to week going, okay, well, where are we going to go from here? So that's, that's one thing. And then also, I think today's text more than ever answers some of life's hugest questions. And I don't think I'm oversimplifying. I really do believe like a lot of our big, huge questions in life or maybe questions that we're too afraid to even say out loud or things that we all tend to think are actually answered in this text. And so let's, let's dig in. Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verse 13 is where we are. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, King of Salaam, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, King of Righteousness. And then he is also King of Salem, or Salaam, that is, King of Peace, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither be beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils? And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly, priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That's out of the book of Numbers. That is, from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham... But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that, this, that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. What might even, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor, when Melchizedek met him. And so there's a, there's a lot going on here, and I want to I just segue this way a little bit. The, some of what we're going to talk about today will continue the conversation next week, but this is kind of an on-ramp for the high priest discussion that we kind of began a few weeks ago. He, he paused, if you remember back, going all the way back to, to when Jonathan taught in, in chapter 5, we, he kind of pauses and talks about, I want to deal deeper. I want to go deeper with you, but we got to talk about this maturity issue that you have. You're, you're very immature as believers, and you're very immature in what you're doing, and so I can't, I can't move on until you guys move on in this way. And then he, he moves on, 
And he goes into the beginning of chapter 6, which we went to two weeks ago, and he has the very hard discussion of what does it really mean for those that, that seemingly have tasted the goodness of God but have fallen away? And how do, we, how do we deal with that? And then last week, we see him kind of finishing that conversation a little bit where he's, he's talking about the, that we can have a full assurance of hope in Christ, that we can have this hope and that, we, that because of that hope, we'll see ourselves not acting in sluggishness and, and we'll see ourselves serving and loving other people. And so we see kind of this, this almost like a deviation from the high priest discussion and now he's on ramping back into it. But he does something profoundly huge, like I said at the beginning, I believe answers a lot of our questions that whether we want to admit it or not, we are asking. And so I want to just kind of do a little bit of legwork on some of this text, and then, we'll, like I said, we'll hit a bunch of it next week as well. But 6, 13 through 18a is this section is basically him laying out, because remember, he goes, he goes four. So, so right before that, he had just talked about how we can have the full assurance of hope. We can have the full assurance of hope. Right before that, he had, he'd gone into this idea of us having the full assurance of hope. And what does that mean? So he goes four, and he, he starts giving us a reason why you and I can have that assurance, that hope. And he bases it specifically on God's character. So 13 through 18 is, is, a, is a conversation about Abraham. It's a conversation about how God made a promise to Abraham to bless him and how Abraham patiently waited. By the way, two and a half decades from God's promise before his son was born. That's a long, when have we waited for two and a half decades for anything? Like, I just don't think that's something we do very rarely, regularly. And so he's saying, through Abraham, he goes to Abraham's com- uh, Abraham, who every single first century Jew, every single person that heard this, it was in this spot, held Abraham to a very high regard. Abraham was the father of faith. We're going we're gonna to talk more about him as we get further into Hebrews. And so he, he brings out this, but he, he brings out Abraham not to really focus on Abraham right now. He's going to focus on him in a second and talk about how Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Seems weird what he's doing, but, but stay with me for a second. He, he literally in these first verses talks about how God made a promise to Abraham, and his promise was to bless him, for surely I will bless you. And then he goes into this conversation, which is a legal term, about oaths, which most people in this day would have known, like, an oath was what set you in place. It was what made a a promise really, really true, concrete, can't fall away from it. And the oath was always made on someone higher value than than yourself. It was always put somewhere else in that way. And so so he says, here's this man-made system, and God decides in his own character and truth to go ahead and create an oath with Abraham, even though he's already said he would bless him. And so a lot of times we can look at this text and go, oh, is, is God following a man-made system? No, that's not, that's not what's happening. I think that God makes this oath just to prove just further how much, how relentless he is about doing the very things he says. And so that's why it says he's now stuck by two unchangeable things. And then he says very clearly, and, and this is a big deal because it's impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Now, guys, I, we gotta, I'm going to pause for a second. Some of us got to settle that right now. Okay, we may not out loud like walk and be like, God, he's such a liar. But practically the way we live our lives, we live as if the truth he's spoken is not true at all. Even in, in our waiting, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but we, we operate in a lot of times where we say we're, the very choices we're making on a day-to-day basis is saying that we don't believe God's word and therefore God is a liar. And this text right here, it's literally saying it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for him to lie. And so he's, he's basing this, like, look, you want full assurance of hope. Let's just, let's just deal with God's character for a second. He promised Abraham, who we would all hold in high regard, and then he made an oath with Abraham, which was actually sustained. He had to make it by his own name because there was no one higher than him. There's no one higher to go, so he's just like, okay, by my own name, I swear by myself that I will do the very things that I have said. 
And so he, he lays this out to, to do something so beautiful where he's like driving the wedge like, look, your hope isn't based on some character that can lie or change his mind. It's based on God who is unchangeable, who is impossible for him to lie. And that's, that's a kind of a broad, a broad brush stroke of what's happening in those first five verses there. But he's, he's literally setting up, okay, so Abraham, God, okay, most every first century Jew, yep, got it, there's the, there's the promise, happens out of Genesis uh, 22, and so that makes sense, we're good to go. And then he moves from that and goes into this idea of Melchizedek. He transitions then to Melchizedek. Now, what's, what's profound and crazy about Melchizedek is he's in one, one chapter in one book in the Old Testament where it actually talks about him. Uh, Psalm 110, which this author has, has quoted a number of times to point to the priesthood of Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. That's Psalm 110. But outside of that, we have one like cameo appearance of Melchizedek, and that's it in the Old Testament. Genesis 15, that's it. It's, or 14. It's, it's one, one intro. And specifically, this is where Abraham, at that point, Abram, had gone and, and destroyed a bunch of kings, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, to, to free Lot and a number of other people. And he's coming out from that, and all of a sudden, Melchizedek and him just meet. And we're like, okay, what's going on here? And so Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Abraham gives his tithes to Abraham. And so this is now where it gets a little bit difficult for us today to understand because, again, this is a lot of the old covenant system that's in play here and that, that we need to understand a little bit. So the reason why this author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron or a Levitical priest that came out of the Mosaic law is because we see that Melchizedek comes in scene way before that is even set up. Way before that is even set up. And then we see the promise both here in Hebrews and elsewhere that he's a priest forever. Now, it, it literally lays out his name and then says, well, this is what his name is. His, his name means the king of righteousness. Melchizedek literally translates king of righteousness. He was the king of Salaam, or Salom, which is shorthand is the pre-Jerusalem. It's basically what it is, which means peace. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Now, just, just for free, for what it's worth, I don't believe peace comes without righteousness. You and I will seek peace on a lot of different things through a lot of different avenues, trying to find peace, but ultimately our peace will come through righteousness. So it's fitting. It's a small little detail, but it's fitting that he's first the king of righteousness, then the king of peace. Righteousness always will supersede and bring us to peace through Jesus Christ. And so he's, he's laying out all of this text, one through three here. Is like, okay, so he's the king. He doesn't have any genealogy. That's, that's weird. We'll get there for a second. And then he literally points out that Abraham is inferior or less than, than Melchizedek because Abraham gave his offering to Melchizedek, which everyone would have understood as a Levitical priest. They would have said, okay, this, this person is who we tie to, who we give to, because we want this priest's blessing. And so he's laying out, he's saying, look, <laughs> Melchizedek was blessed by Abraham. Levi wasn't even born out of the descendants of Abraham yet, hence the, the idea is still in the loins, right? And he's saying, he's saying that it's, in essence, then, every descendant of Abraham gave to Melchizedek. Now, why is he doing this? I, really, I'll, I'll save you the, the suspense that you're all in. He's doing it because he's about to tell you how much greater Jesus is than Melchizedek. So he's, he's just systematically through the theology and everything going, hey, here's how great Melchizedek is. He's greater than Abraham, which most of them are like, okay, he's, he's a supernatural being. He doesn't have a genealogy and all that stuff. I think the real reason why we don't have a start or an end or genealogy and why he's not a, the order of, of Aaron or the Levitical system is because he's literally pointing to Christ. 
Jesus isn't born of the Levitical system. He's not a descendant of Aaron, yet he's claimed and called, just like Melchizedek, a high priest forever. And he's also the only other high priest that was a king. Those are the two that we get. And so he's literally saying, look, this system, and these Jews are struggling because they're, they're still trying to, to, to break from this religious system that was in place and see the freedom in Jesus Christ. But he's saying this system, Melchizedek is above the system, which Jesus is above Melchizedek. So there you go. Here's all of that work. And most of us are like, okay, neat. Now what? Right? Like, that's like, okay, that's awesome. What does that really mean? Well, in verse, um, verses 4 through 10, that's specifically what he's doing. He's just making his point that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham because Abraham gave to Melchizedek and Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And so that's, that's the point. And then literally this is the on-ramp to the discussion of a bunch more Old Covenant stuff next week. It's going to be awesome. And, and working back into the idea of Jesus as a high priest, which was a conversation a few weeks ago with this little pause of, hang on, your immaturity. Some have fallen away. This big, heavy discussion. So why go through all this trouble to do this very thing? I think the answer is actually in this text. I just skipped over it in my discussion here. In verse 6, verses 18, just after God doesn't lie. We who have fled for refuge might have what? Strong encouragement. Now, now think about this again. If this was just being taught the way it was, where it was just being literally like read out or spoken in one long sentence in front of the whole group. You come out of that section that we were just in in, in Hebrews 6, and it, your, your heart's kind of racing, right? Because it's like, what does it mean that you can taste the goodness and then fall away? And like, how, like, were we saved or were we not? And it lends itself to a lot of insecurity. In fact, if we just stopped at 6.12, it seems like the last bit of this text has been about us. Don't be sluggish. Love one another. Do these things. Don't, don't be immature. It seems a lot, it's left a lot about us. And the author does just a brilliantly, he reorients it and puts it right back onto the main character, which is what the whole thing's about, Jesus Christ. And us finding what? Strong encouragement. Guys, that's not just like, oh man, that was really encouraging. Strong encouragement. Okay, so, so whatever you need to do to get to that spot to receive what, what's about to come out of these words here. Re- realize that, that for believers, for those of us that are, that are submitted to Jesus, there is a strong encouragement for you and I right now. A very strong, strong encouragement. And he says, what's a strong encouragement? Strong encouragement to what? To hold fast to the hope that's set before us. So it's a hope that's, that's already in place. It's already in place. So hold fast, okay, cling to We've used that language before. He uses it again later on. And then he says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Now, we use the soul in a weird way here. But literally, he's saying we have this. This strong encouragement. This this hold fast. We have this as something that is like going to just solidify and strengthen our soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. This is the answer to all of our questions. Questions like, am I really saved? Questions like, why in the world is there so much difficulty in this world? Why is there so many bad things? All these huge questions. I literally, without totally oversimplifying it, believe that the answer is right here. 
So let's, let's look at this. First, we have to do a little bit of legwork for us. Again, if you remember a few weeks back, if you, if you were paying attention then, we talked about the role of the high priest. And we talked about how Jesus is the high priest, and that's the discussion that's going to continue. But one of the, 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 there were many functions of the high priest, but one of the main functions, kind of the, the pinnacle of a high priest role was the once a year sacrifice being made for the people of Israel to be forgiven by God. And what would happen is, is in the Old Testament, it was a tabernacle, it was a tent that was built to the standards that God has. You, you see that in the scriptures as well. And there would have been a veil, a big, huge curtain, really, really thick curtain that was inside the tent that was separated from another part of the tent, and then there would have been an outer part, and then there would have been another outer part. Well, that very, very end spot, that behind the veil spot, was what we believed in the Old Testament, what the people of God believed, was the presence of God. It was the most holy place you could get on earth because that's where God dwelt. That's where he was. Now, he was in and out of that, but that's a whole other subject. But that was there. And the high priest's role was once a year was to make atonement or sin, sacrifice for his and the other priest's sins. And then he would go into the inner place with a rope tied around him that, was, that the other priests were holding on to. And the reason for this was if the, sin, if the sacrifices didn't work or if he did something stupid in there and he, he died, they could pull him out without going into the holy place because they weren't allowed in the holy place. And so he's, he's tied and he would go in and make this sacrifice that would then say, okay, Israel, your, your sins are forgiven. Good luck this year. We'll do this all over again next year. And that was the high priest that happened in the Mosaic law after um, Levi and Abraham and all those other things. And so, so this is the role of high priest. Well, all of a sudden now we get this profound imagery because once they were out of the tent and they were in Jerusalem and they made the temple, and it was all just the same thing but just built out of rock. It wasn't like temporary. It wasn't moving. It was in one place, although it got leveled and rebuilt a bunch. But either way, it was, it was there in this place. And so when we go to celebrate resurrection and we deal with Friday and what happens at the end when Jesus breathes his last, the veil is what? Torn in two. It, creating access to the holy place. Creating access. We all think that and know that, but this profound picture is here that seriously changed it so much for me. And I'm sorry I'm geeking out about it, but... but what he's saying is that, is that we have an anchor. Now, anchor's used all over in the scriptures, but only once in this way. Anchor's usually used for a ship. There's your ship. Here he uses it differently. He says, we have an anchor. We have something anchoring us. We have something anchoring us to this hope. And what is that anchor? Who is that hope? That, that anchor is Jesus Christ. And it's based on God's character and his promises. Because he just established it. Look, God does not lie. It's impossible for him to lie. He, he does what he says he's going to do. And he has created something that is better, that is better than what you guys have been operating in. For us, we now get to, to be on this side of it and operate just in this. But he's saying, I have a high priest that's going to be a high priest forever, and he's your king. But more than that, he's anchoring you to the holy place. He's anchoring you. He's not, he's not just anchoring you to some thing out there. It's not like we're holding on to a string of God and we're flailing it back in the wind. It's just like, hold on as, as much as you can and you'll stay with God. That's great. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, no, there's an anchor solidly planted where? In the inner room behind the veil, in the holy place with God. And it doesn't go down, guys. It goes up. It goes to God, to the throne of God. And now what happens is Jesus Christ has anchored those that submit to him to the holiest place ever. And all I got to do, all I got to do is hold on to that hope. See, it's not, it's not hope that I don't mess up tomorrow, because I, I probably will. It's not hope that my mess up isn't 
so much that I'm somehow insecure in my faith anymore because now I've established my security is in God. My anchor is Him. So what this text is saying is specifically is this, is that there is an anchor point that goes through us that have submitted our lives to Jesus Christ and it literally, strongly, confidently, without any fear of it being gone, is ours to be at the most holy place with God. We have no right to stand in that holy place. We have no, no business. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves holy, but it's because of what Christ has done for us as our high priest, what Christ has done as our, as our king, what he has done for us through the cross, it now enables anyone who submits their life to him to literally be tethered between the holiness of God here and the forerunner of where we're going with, God, with Jesus Christ. Guys, this should, this should blow our minds. Because what this does, this tells us specifically that, that really, I want to know, how can I be sure that I'm a child of God? Well, I'm anchored by Jesus Christ. Wait, 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 wait. What about when I sin? Well, the great news, and we're going to find out the text after this, Jesus is continually praying and continually saving us. In fact, 1 John teaches that he's our advocate. He's literally saying, no, no, I got that. I paid for that. I paid for that. My blood covered that. Blood covered that. Nope, we're good. You're good. You're good. They're submitted to me. Not as an excuse to go on sinning. In fact, Dare I say this, we talked about satisfaction. If you found just a little bit of satisfaction in the fact that you and I, those that are submitted to Jesus Christ, are actually anchored to his holiness, I feel like that would really change the way we lived our lives. I feel like, I feel like the, the struggles would still be there. In fact, you know, what, you know what's amazing? What's profound? We are landlocked in Idaho. I get that. But how many of you have ever been on a boat? Raise your hand. Okay, if you haven't been on a boat, have you ever seen a boat? Yeah, everyone's seen a boat. Okay, right. What does every boat have? An anchor, that's right. Do they have an anchor because they look cool? They have an anchor so that, you know, someone strong can swing up above? No, you know what an anchor means and why it's there? Because there will be hard times. There are going to be storms. If I go back to chapter 2 and it talks about us drifting away, the issue with drifting away was that you weren't anchored. An anchor literally tells us two things. This is why I said this answers all the questions. One is, I no longer need to be worried about what I do I just need to hold fast to Christ. We see that in, in Hebrews 12. Cling, cling to Christ. Throw off the things that entangle us, right? The author and perfecter of our faith, that's who we hold on to. But the other thing it tells me and it promised me is there's going to be hardship. There is going to be storms where I'm going to have to really rely on that anchor. And the problem that you and I have is we believe some lie that there are no storms. We say, all right, God, that's cool. I just need a bigger boat. He's like, no, 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 you, the boat doesn't matter. It's the anchor. All right, well, I just need to put myself in this position. No, 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 the position doesn't matter. It's the anchor. It's not what you do. It's what I have done for you through Christ. And he is our anchor. So literally, an anchor promises you guys this. It's going to be hard. There's going to be storms coming. And instead of flailing about and being crazy, we can literally hold on to our anchor. I don't want to in any way minimize your difficulties. My assumption is, is in a room this size, there are some extremely difficult things going on relationally, financially, personally. Like I, I guarantee that your difficulties are extreme and very, very hard, and you're, you're literally like at times maybe losing sleep over this. And I'm not trying to oversimplify it, but I think what's happened is you've started focusing on the storm instead of your anchor in the storm. Instead of, you, you view it as if I could just see Jesus through these circumstances. I could see these through this ridiculous husband, or I could see these through these horrible people. And you forget that Jesus is like, no, no, you, you don't get it. I'm, I'm on this side of that storm. 
I'm not, I'm not beyond it. I'm, I'm right here. I've, I've anchored you. I've literally attached myself to you and brought you to the most holy place, which you have no right to be in. But I've done that. Why? Because I love you and God loves you. And because of that love, I'm going to go out of my way to stop making you think it's something you need to do, and I'm going to do it for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you in. And all you need to do is, it's like, it's like we're literally anchored. It's just like, okay, put my hand out. Got it. And then just hold on to that. The problem is, we, it's not like it, we're flailing in the wind. It's very secure. It's that we get enticed by something else. Ooh, I want to hold on to that. Well, I can't eat my donut and drink my soda. So you let go and you grab this. And it's like, that's how life, the world starts enticing us to grab onto other things. Hold on to this. Find assurance in this. The reason why we are so insecure is because we've lost the security that we have already in Christ just by the fact that we're looking for security in something else. When he says hope in me, he's not saying hope in something distant. He's saying hope in me because why? I am unchangeable and I do not lie. It is impossible for me to lie. And you can look at my scriptures. Every single promise I made has come to fruition. Sometimes it's just after the time we want. Like I said, we love to hold up Abraham for his, for his faithfulness. Dude, that, that dude made some serious mistakes, right? Some really big, he's not my wife, he's my sister. That's just twice. You know, like lots of big mistakes there, right? But what did he do? He waited, what? Patiently for God's promise. Hebrews tells us that he was so confident that even if he had offered Isaac and, and dis, dismembered him and, and, and offered him on the, on the altar, that God would have raised him from the dead. Abraham waited two and a half decades, guys. Most of us in here, are, we struggle to wait two and a half days. Our issue isn't that the hope that we hold on to is small and vague and ambiguous and out there. Our issue is that we are too small-minded and too narrowly focused. And we forget to lift our gaze up to the fact like, oh, yeah, this may be difficult, which, again, I'm not minimizing. You're probably going to go through hardship. In fact, the anchor promises it. You're going to go through hardship. There's going to be a time where that anchor is going to have to be the only thing you hold on to. And you're not even sure that your body, the vessel that's around that anchor, will come out looking the same, which you probably won't. You're not even sure that you'll be able to stay with, but the good news is it's not you, it's him. The anchor gives us deep satisfaction and hope in difficult times and good times. The anchor is what literally brings us the hope that we all so desperately want. But we keep looking for in relationships and money and security and feeling good and happiness. And we, we keep searching for the very thing that is already ours in Christ. We're assured of this access into the, the presence of God because Jesus has what? He's entered as a forerunner for us. This, this is awesome. Every other high priest went in as a representative. Every other high priest in the, in the history was like, they went in as a representative for the people to hopefully atone for some sins. Jesus says, no, I'm going to be the forerunner. I'm literally going to enter in. Come on, follow me. Just stay with me. I got you in. I'm literally going to go in front of you and do it. The tension of not knowing if I've done enough to be with God or if there's something I've done that would cause him to not like me or the tension of, of why is like God even around because look at all these horrible circumstances, I believe is answered in this. It's answered because what, what, what the Scripture is saying here is that you, if you are a child of God, submitted to him, no matter how difficult it is, you're still anchored to the holiness of God. And guys, talk about satisfaction. Maybe we just need to be a little bit more satisfied in that. Maybe the issue isn't that 
these difficult times are in place, it's that we want something out of these difficult times instead of wanting God. And recognizing that he is doing something in and through us bigger and grander than we could ever understand. Some of us get so misplaced on the journey. I felt like God was leading me in this way, and I, I felt like I was so sure of it, but it's been a week and nothing's happened. Two and a half decades for Abraham. Joseph was in prison for 13 years, and the Lord was with him. Right? Like, I mean, I feel like we need to look out a little bit further, guys, and recognize that he is still present in the journey. You know, I think maybe sometimes, and this is just, just free, I think sometimes we get, we, we want a different leading from the Lord. Think about the walls of Jericho. God wanted only so many people to walk around and look foolish <laughs> and blow trumpets and yell. They didn't even get to do anything, right? But he kept removing people by specific things, the way, they drew, the way that they took water for, for refreshment. Okay, they're out and doing this. We always think, oh man, those people, those, those, those last few hundred people, they must have been awesome and they're so great and everything was in place. You realize God led those other people not to be a part of it. He, he led the people to walk around and then you know what's funny is he, he didn't really want them to do anything. He wanted them to not see that they were part of it, but ultimately that God was doing it. And see, I think so often we think our leadings and our callings and where God's taking us is about what we're going to do. And yet time and time and time again we come to the scriptures, it's about what he is doing. It's about his glory. It's about his purposes. If we can see that our life is about his purposes and his goodnesses, then we would just be glad that we have an anchor no matter how difficult the storm is. No matter how long it goes. And I understand. Some of you are like, man, it's, it has been years, Brent. It has been years. And I, I won't presume to understand your situation. I won't even presume to understand that I have a solution, but I can tell you right now, the scriptures are very clear. Fix your eyes on the author and perfect of your faith and nothing else. You get distracted from that, it's just going to keep adding time to it. You, get, you take your face off of that. You stop, you stop being relentless about loving him and being satisfied in him and putting your hope on him and not your hope in, in anything else. It's going to hurt. We all long for security in something. You ever think about this? Much of our life revolves around security, revolves around housing. I want security from a storm. <laughs> I want to have a security from my back so I have a comfortable bed. Security from enemies so I can lock the door. We, we, we look at security through insurance, safeguards if something does go wrong. Right? Even though if something went wrong, we would be baffled, even though we bought insurance in case something went wrong. Right? So, so we have these safeguards to, to keep from something going wrong. Finances. Right? We want to make sure we have enough for someone in the, pe- in the future, hopefully us, right? And that's like, that's what we're doing. So we, we put these safeguards, but yet at the, at the root of it, I mean, I mean, I don't care how amazing your house is. I mean, like it could be literally locked down. Like there's no enemy that's ever going to get in there. You got like security system galore and you're like protected as possible, right? All it takes is one storm. And we look for security in relationships. Well, how many relationships have lasted your whole life? Sadly, how many marriages have lasted your life? That's a whole other topic. But we, at the root of it, understand that our security is really, 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 really not that secure. Because at any moment, I could be bankrupt. At any moment, my insurance could fall. At any moment, death will happen. And all of a sudden, we realize all the safeguards we put for security leave us wanting something still. Why? Because the only thing you will find security in is Jesus Christ. That is it, guys. Not Jesus plus. Not Jesus and. Okay, I want Jesus, then I get this house, and that's what I really spend more of my energy time for. No, no, no. Jesus. Because at the end of the day, if I was broke, without relationship with anyone, no insurance because I filled up my paperwork wrong, and I didn't have a home, if I had Jesus, I have everything I need. And that is so easy for us to say 
oh yeah, holy Brent, don't trust me, like I have to cling to that. Because if I don't, I start reaching for other things. One author wrote it this way, a scholar, I want to just read it to you. He said, waiting is one of the postures which a Christian soldier, soldier learns not without years of teaching. Marching and quick marching are much easier to, to God's warriors than standing still. There are hours of perplexity when the most willing spirit anxiously desires to serve the Lord, knows not what part to take. Then what shall it do? Vex itself by despair? Fly back in cowardice? Turn to the right hand in fear? Or rush forward in presumption? No, but simply wait. Wait in prayer. However, call upon God and spread the case before him. Tell him your difficulty and plead his promise of aid. But wait in faith. Express your unstaggering confidence in him. For unfaithful, untrusting waiting is but an insult to the Lord. Believe that if he will come at the right time, wait in quiet patience, not rebelling again because you are under the affliction, but blessing your God for it. Never murmur against, him, against the second cause as the children of Israel did against Moses. Never wish you could go back to the world again, but accept the case as it is and put it as it stands, simply and with your whole heart, without any self-will, into the hand of your covenant God, saying, Now, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I know not what to do. I am brought to extremities, but I will wait until you shall cleave the floods or drive back my foes. I will wait. If you keep me many a day, for my heart is fixed upon you alone, O God, and my spirit wait for you in the full conviction that you will yet be my joy and my salvation, my refuge and my strong tower. God's character tells us that he is at work in us even if our circumstances are horrible, even if the storms are just pounding you right now in every single spot. If you have submitted your life to Jesus, then you are anchored to him. You are anchored to him. Psalm 33 says this, and I want to I do something it may seem a little weird, but I'm going to have you guys repeat this to me because I did it without people repeating last service, and I don't know if it actually sunk in, so I'm going to go with it. Psalm 33 says this. I'm just going to read it to you real quickly. 2022 20, says, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon me, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And so I want to do something. The band's going to come up, and we're going to worship. But I want to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to say this again, but I want you to repeat it with I. Okay, I want this to be a declaration for us. And I understand that some of you in here, you're like, man, I don't, I don't know if I believe in this God thing. That's, that's great. That's okay. You don't have to partake if you don't want to. If you're like too introverted, like talking out loud in this room would, would like literally send you into cold swats, you're free. Okay, you don't have to do it. Okay? But I want us to change it from we to I. Because here's what I want this to be. I don't want this to be a sermon or a talk that you guys, oh yeah, I need to be, I'm anchored in Christ. Instead, I want you to literally take these psalm words and go, I I wait in hope for the Lord. I wait in hope for the Lord. Now here's the thing about that. It's one thing to say it and declare it, and it's another thing to actually do it. And so if you're out here going, I wait in hope for the Lord, and then you're like, well, I'm just tired of waiting. I'm going this way. You're not really waiting and hoping for the Lord. Just repeat with me, okay? I wait in hope for the Lord. He is my help and my shield. In him, my heart rejoices. I'm going to do that one again. In him, my heart rejoices. For I trust in his holy name. Do you? Do you trust in it? May your unfailing love rest upon me. 
O Lord, even as I put my hope in you. You know what's amazing about that, guys? What's profound about that? The picture of Christ being in behind the veil, it doesn't make us wanting his unfailing love to be honest some distant future thing. It's ours today. His unfailing love is yours today, and he has displayed it at the highest cost to Jesus Christ. So wash away those insecurities. Flee the, the cares of this world and trust yourself on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Put your hope in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for thank you for bringing me to a holy spot where I have no right to be. God, thank you for anchoring me in a time when um, I didn't know I even needed it. So that when the storms came, I was so thankful for him, Lord. Heavenly Father, would you forgive us for looking for security in anything else? Forgive us for the foolishness of this world. Forgive us for believing the foolishness of this world. Forgive us for forgetting that your unfailing love already rests upon us. God, for those that are in here that love you, that know you, that are following you, God, would you show them your presence? And would they not just see it, but would they live in light of it? Would they act in light of it? Would they think in light of it, God? Father, I praise you for displaying your unfailing love. I praise you for giving us something to hope in that is not founded on distant ideas, but founded on your character, a character that is unchanging and, and that does not lie. And God, for the, for the individuals in here that, that have been living practically as if you are a liar, God, I just pray that you would just crush their pride. Just wreak havoc with their hearts. Don't let them have any excuse to blame anything else, but just let them do what you've called them to do, what you've commanded us to do, which is submit and surrender entirely to you. Father, would you give us the ability to walk in this shaking, broken, messed up, storm-filled world, recognizing just how secure and strong our foundation we are because we are anchored. We are anchored to the holiest of holiest. And there is nothing, there is no storm that can take us from that. And we don't need to be worried about flailing in the wind. We're standing on solid ground. Jesus, thank you for being the forerunner to do what none of us could do, even doing what even the Levitical system couldn't do. Thank you for being greater than absolutely everything. Thank you for being our high priest. It's in our high priest's holy name we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.